Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back to Man vs. Machine. I am your host, Billy Musio. With me today, one of my homies back in the house, Bradley Stalder, one of the OGs of the Fantasy Football Fanalist, one of my old podcast partners and co-hosts. He's also going to be joining Player Profiler team here in the near future. He also had a number one most accurate week inside the Fantasy Pros ranking contest in 2021. Also a every year Fantasy Pros ranker. Welcome to Man vs. Machine, Bradley. Excited to have you on. Talk some projections here and debate our tight ends and our quarterbacks. Beep boop, beep boop. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm the machine for this one. Ready to roll. I'm happy to discuss quarterbacks and tight ends with you here, Billy. Getting the band back together. I'm the machine! I got to play that every single time Dario's here or not here. It happens every single show. And so I, we initially were just going to be talking about different projections, rankings, and then we realized Scott Fishbowl is right around the corner. What not a better time to tie in quarterbacks and tight ends into these projection and ranking discussion because it's arguably the two most important positions inside of this format. We ran through and looked at the algorithm. We worked everything out, just released the Scott Fishbowl rankings over on the site at Player Profiler all of our ranking subscriptions so they can get those at the site. Use the little drop-down menu, select Scott Fishbowl, and you can see who number one is. Little secret, it's Travis Kelsey. We ran through the projections, the numbers, and the tight end position is officially broken in Scott Fishbowl. There is, in general, PPR scoring across the board. First downs is one point for every first down in the league. On top of it, tight ends, Bradley, get an additional point for a first down and an additional point for a reception. So that being said, one catch for 10 yards on a first down Bradley for a tight end is five fantasy points. How many, how many is Travis Kelsey going to get? Is that, is that like a 30 point average every week? <laughs> it's gotta be. I mean, <laughs> the, I, I already put Travis Kelsey's into, into the, you know, beep boop machine, the projections sheets, and he comes out just so much further ahead in it in merely half PPR, no extra bonuses, no nothing. He's tears by himself. So, I mean, it, it, we also, we talk not only about scoring like fantasy points, but also positional scarcity and Travis Kelsey being so much further ahead of Mark Andrews or George Kittle or any of your other favorite tight ends that are not named Kelsey. It, it's clear that Kelsey is a strong consideration is the first overall pick in your Scott Fishbowl drafts. I don't know if you've had a chance yet to look at the rankings. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Actually. I first, when the algorithm first came out, I took a look at it and I said, Oh, something's wrong. Why is Travis Kelsey? Number one, ahead of Josh Allen, ahead of Patrick Mahomes, ahead of Jalen hurts. When you consider the quarter point per rushing score, I immediately thought Jalen hurts or Josh Allen was going to be number one. 
I thought maybe a real argument could be made for Lamar Jackson. Uh, but no, when you look at the numbers, just just in just in just in just across the top, pure peer projected fantasy points. Travis Kelsey comes in at 580.7 inside of my projections. Josh Allen comes in at 596.8. Patrick Mahomes comes in at 586.4. And Jalen Hurts comes in at 555.9. So you might ask me, well, then why do you have Travis Kelsey ranked at number one when Josh Allen has 16 more fantasy points than him and Patrick Mahomes has six more fantasy points than him? And it breaks down to replacement value. When you look at the tight ends, Mark Andrews comes in at 445. TJ Hawkinson comes in at almost 200 fantasy points below Travis Kelsey. So 200 fantasy points, Bradley, from the tight end three to the tight end one. And if you go all the way down to tight end number seven, which is Dallas Goddard, it almost doubles. So two Dallas Goddards is almost the same as Travis Kelsey in this format. I mean, two David and Joku's, I mean, 292, we're getting down to, you know, this is once you get to tight end seven, eight, 12, it's all the same. It's all, but that's why we want to be drafting some Travis Kelsey. I think that's the bull argument for drafting Kelsey in this format, but heck, even, even in your tight end premiums on FFPC or anywhere else, like Kelsey has that replacement value, but in particular, if you're not considering Kelsey as one of the first picks overall, I think that that's a mistake in the Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, speaking of mistakes, I accidentally forgot his third-round reversal. So I picked my spot at pick 101, thinking that I was going to lock in a top-tier quarterback and come back down and double-tap on the 2-3 turn. Nope, forgot it was 3RR. Then I was immediately regretting my decision. And then when the algorithm came in, I saw Travis Kelsey. I was like, let's fucking go. It worked out because that's like we just said, that's this is for Jelani Woods. This is for Hayden Hurst's. This is for Kate Otten's. Like, see, now I'm regretting choosing the 112. See, I selected the 12th spot because it was third round reversal. I was like, well, I'm getting three top 25 picks in this draft. Yes, I'm going to go that way. But. You know, seeing just the differential that Kelsey makes, I, I, I'm feeling some regret myself in that select. <laughs> well, let's continue on with the tight end talk. We're going to be discussing our most significant differences in our player rankings. We're going to be focusing on tight end today. We're going to be focusing on quarterback as well. Then we will each sell the other person on our rankings, have healthy debates about it, and discuss why we have them ranked where we do. We will also be comparing these rankings to ECR, which is expert consensus ranking, to see where the rest of the field and the rest of the rankers inside of the industry also stand on these players. So it's not just two of your most favorite people in the industry giving our biased opinions. You also get the overall view of all of the analysts across the industry in this discussion so we can see where everyone stands. First player I want to talk about, Bradley, and you know what? I almost called you and canceled your invite when I saw you where you had this guy <laughs> on side of your projections. Darren Waller comes in in my projections as tight end five. Bradley has him all the way down at tight end 11. 11, Bradley. I, you're going to have some explaining to do here. ECR is at tight end seven, so they're splitting the difference between the two of us. However, I would like to note it's closer to my projection. I know we have not had a complete season from Darren Waller since 2020 when he played 16 games. However, he did have 145 targets that year, 107 receptions, 1,196 receiving yards. 
2021 only played 11 games. 2022 only played nine games. However, even in those nine games, he still finished as the tight end number 10 in fantasy points per game. So very valuable when he is on the field. He joins a New York Giants offense that is in a state of despair for their wide receiver core. We have some pretty, pretty, pretty ugly options here inside of this receiving core. You have Isaiah Hodgins, who's arguably the number one, Paris Campbell, who's arguably the number two, Sterling Shepard and Wandale Moore, who are racing back from both injuries, Darius Slayton, who is a deep threat, Jalen Hyatt, who's the new deep threat, or are they both sharing the deep threat role? And then you also have Jamison Crowder, who I don't expect to make the team, but is still currently on the team. How do you think this offense shakes up? You are, by the looks of it, not projecting Darren Waller to be the number one option inside of this passing uh, offense or attempt, I should say, this, this, the weapons inside the passing, inside of the receiving core. Where do you have him ranked inside of this receiving core? What is his target share for you? And why are you so low on Darren Waller? Well, it's actually that Darren Waller has the highest target share of any receiving option in this team. At, but that tells you how flat I think this New York Giants offense is going to be. I have him projected at a 15% target share. The next closest player is at 12%, and that's Darius Slayton. All of the other players are like in the 10%, the 11%, the the 10.5%. I think that this Giants team is going to spread the ball around. I do believe that Darren Waller is going to be the number one receiving option, but I don't think that there's the type of ceiling that we want. Uh, Last year, the median target share, median, so the middle, we take out the bad games, we take out the good games, we we just look at the middle performance for Darren Waller. His median target share last year was 16.7%. That's not like what we were seeing even in his, like, his dominant years, he's clearly approaching the age cliff. There are concerns there. So that the age concerns, the target share concerns, he's also going to be sharing the slot like seven, 63% of his routes were run out of the slot last year. All the giants did this off season was sign slot receivers. So yes, I think that he's the best of them, but that just means he's also going to be pulled out to, play on the outside and we have questions about Daniel Jones being a good outside thrower so I have concerns overall on the Darren Waller side I think they're going to spread the ball around and it's clear that Brian Dayball does spread the ball around because last year there were only 29 different performances from wide receivers running backs or tight ends where any of those players exceeded a 20% target share so you were lucky to get one maybe two players in a game last year with a 20 plus percent target share. We're going to see some nice spike weeks from Darren Waller. Sure. But I think the floor is a little scarier than what tight end five or tight end seven could hold. So it, correct me if I'm wrong here. 15, would you say 15, 15 and a half percent target share? That means 15%. You have n- nobody projected for hundred targets in this offense. Is that is correct? That right? Yeah. Darren Waller. I have at 92 targets, 65 receptions, 92 targets, 65 receptions. Okay. That's closer than I thought. Um, so we just have a different amount of passing volume because I am for 19% target share, but that's only 105 total targets. So we just have a difference in total attempts for this offense. Yes. But when you, you, you talked about the amount of slot receivers that they added, yes, they added Jamison Crowder. Yes, they added Paris, and Paris Campbell. They still have Wanda Robinson. They still have Sterling Shepard. But if you combined every single one of these players 
Crowder played four games last year. Wandale Robinson played six games last year. Sterling Shepard played three games last year. We have not even close to 17 here, Bradley. Paris Campbell, for his first time in his career, played 17, but prior to that, played six and two games. I think they keep adding all these damn slot receivers because they know that they might get 17 out of all four of them combined for the given season. We're probably expecting maybe a couple pup act- activities here between uh, maybe Wandell Robinson, maybe Sterling Shepard, right? At least IR for Wandell Robinson to start the season off in a little bit slower pace. That being said, there is not a lot of other competition here. So Waller could easily still take some slots, snaps, and still work on the outside. For me, it's a simple volume game. I don't have everybody quite projected for 10%. So that's where you and I are a little different here. I have Waller for 19%. I have Hodgins for 15.5. I have Campbell for 14%. And then I have all those other guys kind of clustered between 6 and 8%. Minus and Crowder. Or my, minus and Jameson. Well, I'll say that 10 times. Minus Jameson Crowder, who I have at 1%. And so I think when I look at it for me, 105 targets from a tight end perspective, that's outstanding. We always would love to see a tight end who has the ability to be the number one inside of their offense or the number two. For me, he's a clear cut number one. People will argue that Dable does not use the tight end. And I think that you could say that that Dable has not had a tight end with the athleticism of Darren Waller. And we're already hearing news in camp that they are, you know, just excited about what Darren Waller brings to this offense, what he's able to contribute. If the Saquon Barkley holdout gets any uglier, I think we could also pump up the numbers for the passing game as well. I'm not relying on that. I think a deal gets done, but something for me to consider as well when we're doing these projections. So I'm curious, what do you have for total fantasy points? Uh, I have it for half PPR. I have 134.4. Half PPR fantasy points. So 134.4. I'm at 146.7. So we're talking about less than 13 fantasy points. In the less grand than one per things. game. We're, yeah, we're the- very close. It's just, you know, as you and I talked earlier, once you get outside of Kelsey and Andrews, then it starts to get like the lines start to blur a little bit. Yeah, it does. So nonetheless, total fantasy points. That just shows everybody that even though Bradley has him at 11, I have him at five. We're still very close in total fantasy points. That's just how tight-knit these tight end groups right. can be inside of these projections. Nonetheless, let's move on. Evan Ingram. Ingram comes in as my tight end 18. This is one of those what-the-fuck moments, Bradley, because I saw this and saw Bradley has him as tight end 18. I'm at tight end 8. ECR has him at tight end 9. So we're on the Western Hemisphere. Bradley is on the Eastern Hemisphere when it comes to this projection, and I want to know why. What What's going on here? Well, I think that it begins with concerns with the target share once again, just like I was concerned about um, Darren Waller in our previous segment. I'm concerned about Evan Ingram because even last year, his median target share was 16.3. He was feast or famine. When he exploded, he hit massively. We remember that week 17 game where he put up 34 fantasy points and won people championships. I mean, this was a player who was a first round pick for the New York Giants way back when. Elite athleticism, absolutely. I think a great best ball pick. I think the the tight end eight, nine, seven, even. I don't mind him in the best ball streets at that point. But when we're talking season long, he could just absolutely produce duds week to week. And that's my concern is he has this huge upside, but scary downside in an offense that adds Calvin Ridley, who has over the last 
two seasons that he's played as a full-time role, 25% median target shares. So you add Ridley, you already have Zay Jones who had a 20% target share last year. You have Christian Kirk who had a 22% target share last year. I think the odd man out here based on last year's target share is Evan Ingram, like in the order of pecking Ingram. I still have at a 14% target share, 91 targets, 59 receptions. Uh, I think I have like three or four touchdowns, 600 yards. Like this is a player. Once again, like we're probably very close on this, but I think there is like, everyone is all in on the, the Evan Ingram explosion game near the end of the season. That very much sits in your mind, but there are also games where he just zeroes out. And there were reasons why the giants moved on from him because of the drops and the inefficiencies and, and the problems he had. So I there is a bear case for Evan Ingram, which is why like how this projection kind of works in. All right, Bradley, I have a rebuttal here. Go for it. But before we get into the rebuttal, let's get a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, it's the Podfather of great news. The 2023 draft kit is live. It is world famous. Why? Because it is the best resource for winning fantasy football championships that exists. There are rankings and cheat sheets for every format you can imagine. We have projections both at the team level and the player level. And wherever you are, you can click on a player, open them up, and see in-depth written analysis about what to expect in fantasy football from that player this year. And then you can click on the team, and you can get even more in-depth analysis, all the drivers of fantasy production, both in a positive and negative direction for that team, including a signature trend. And the graphics are incredible. So these team insights, they give you the team level projections, the vacated targets, the vacated areas, and that one dynamic for each team that you need to know when making decisions on draft day. And we added a bunch of features. I mean, individual cheat sheets for Theo and Billy and Dario. So you could take your favorite analyst and download their personal draft cheat sheet. And then in the commissioner's section, also brand new this year, Memphis Young lays out everything you need to know to manage a league, do's, don'ts, tips, and what the more innovative fantasy commissioners are doing this year. That's presented by Trophy Smack. The whole package is presented by the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the FFPC, Ray Garvin, Derek Brown, the best minds in the industry contributing analysis. It's certainly not the most inexpensive draft kit on the market, but uh, it is the best. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Go get it. Go get it. That draft kit is a beast. I didn't even know last year. I wasn't with Player Profile last year. I'm I'm blessed to be with them this year. I didn't even know you could expand the players last year and look at all of that data. And I told Matt, hey, didn't even know this existed. So we had to add the little drop down arrows. People knew it was there. I'm like, how many people like me didn't even know that was there last year? Probably the only one. But it was... uh, it's there's so much information in there. It's really good to see Theo and the team did a wonderful job with that. But back to Evan Ingram, my rebuttal, Bradley. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Come on. Beep, beep, beep. Beat the machine. Come on. <laughs> One, I know I'm lower on Calvin Ridley than you are. Yes. And so I think that has a lot to do with it, right? The lazy analysis is he hasn't played football in a year and a half. That being said, it is still a new new system. It's a new quarterback. It's a new team. There's still going to be some learning curves when it when it comes to him picking up and getting into speed with this offense. Number two, 
I think that this offense in general is going to take another step forward, just like they did last year. And if we continue to see them take steps forward and take more steps forward, we're going to continue to see them get more efficient. We're going to continue to see more opportunities and we're going to continue to see more touchdowns and more times the chains are moving, which in turn more plays, which in turn more catches, which in turn more points. And I think that we're going to continue to see that here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's going to benefit everybody, not just Evan Ingram. But when we take a look at Evan Ingram just as himself, he had the fifth most routes run last year. And anytime I look at a receiver or if I look at a tight end, I want to see how much are they actually running on the field. And two, are they participating inside of the route participation? So fifth most routes run as a tight end, route participation at 72.7%, which was top 17. So nothing to, to be like outstanding about, but still he's running routes. He's on the field. Number two, I'd like to see, is he being targeted in short distance? Is he being targeted in deep distance? And he was the number seven most targeted player down the tight end, I should say, down the field for deep targets. Again, back to the explosiveness that you mentioned. It's definitely there, uh, which it correlates also with air yards. So he's number eight in air yards. So I think that even if we do see a reduced amount of target share, I think the target rate itself could still be near, you know, t- top 10, top seven inside of the position. But ultimately, I think that we're going to see him have the opportunity, be able to get down the the crease and have those big plays. So for me in 2023, he's, and I hate to say this, he's definitely much more of a best ball appeal than he is for me for season long because of everything I just mentioned. But because we're- Sounds like you just argued for me. Thank you, Billy. You made my point. I I did, but when it comes to the projection- (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at total fantasy points and those big plays for me still keep him inside the top 10 of the position because we're going to see some very explosive games out of him because this offense is going to be very high powered. I mean, I would argue that they are probably a top five, top six, top seven offense in the league now with what they've built and what they've how they, and how this offense has been developed, especially with the addition of Calvin Ridley. And so I think that it's going to open up opportunity. There's not going to be any double coverage on on any of these you know weapons we also have a backfield that's going to keep the defenses honest so i'm excited to see how they use use them and then when the last thing i'd like to say is even if we do see a reduced amount of opportunities evan ingram was the number two tight end in yards after the catch you know i like my yak guys debo samuel is probably one of the most prized possessions inside this house with jerseys on the wall so yards after the catch are very come very like ring home for me, Bradley. Number two tight end in the league, 460 yards after the catch last year. So I think that even in a reduced capacity, we could see another big year from Evan Ingram just simply due to his athleticism and the efficiencies of the offense. Yeah, I mean, the you mentioned I think that the Jaguars are gonna take a, a step forward here. The I have Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, and Zay Jones all for over 120 targets. I have Evan Ingram projected for 91. And I mean, he had 98 last year. So it's like, it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. It's really not that far off from what he, what production he had last year. So I look, it's just how the other tight ends ended up falling. Um, But Evan Ingram, I'm, I'm fine with drafting in best ball. I just am a little more worried in redraft. All right, fair enough. When the bartender comes around, I want what he's drinking. That's what I want. Um, 
<laughs> let's let's move along. Let's go to the next tight end who we see things pretty damn similar. And I think this is the reason I want to talk about this was because this tight end is going as tight end 15 on ECR. This particular tight end you have as tight end number nine. I have him as tight end number 10. So we're both very, very, very close here. And that is Tyler Higby. So Tyler Higby is, in my projections, the number two option for the Los Angeles Rams here in 2023. They no longer have Allen Robinson. They didn't really have him last year either. But the rest of this offense leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, when we talk about the weapons that they have in the passing game, they have Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson. From there, it gets pretty ugly. Tutu Atwell, Ben Skowronek, Puka Nakua. You can argue how the rest of those should shake up. I don't really want to partake in that argument. And then we have, of course, Tyler Higby. And then the rest of the tight ends don't matter. And then inside the running back core, all we really have is Cam Akers. Kyron Williams, you could argue there's going to be a handful of target share there as well. And then, of course, they added Sony Michelle this week, which is whip the F and do. I don't really care. So Tyler Higby, I have projected for 15.5% target share of this offense, which is 874 targets. I have him for a 70% catch percentage. I have him at 61 receptions, 575 receiving yards, and 5.8 touchdowns. So pretty conservative, pretty modest. Still comes in as a tight end one in my rankings, going very late in best ball. Are we on the same page here? I'm even more bullish on Tyler Higby. I think tight end nine is, <laughs> I mean, tight end 15 is the ECR. I have, I'm even more bullish than, than the target shares you mentioned. I have him at an 18% target share, 111 targets, 75 mm-hmm. receptions, uh, 760 receiving yards, about five touchdowns, just like you hit on. But as you said, there's no clear number two wide receiver in this offense. It could be Van Jefferson. It probably isn't Ben Skoranek, my boy, fighting Irish Ben Skoranek. Tutu Atwell, I, that pick still befuddles me, like using yeah. a second round pick. I am huge on Puka Nakua as a developmental dynasty piece and maybe a late season Matthew Stafford stack in best ball, but not someone that I'm like running to redraft leagues and saying he needs to be a last round pick. No. Uh, Tyler Higby feasted. Last year, even with Cup and Allen Robinson. So last year, Allen Robinson still was getting an 18 to 20% target share. Cup was getting his 30% target shares. From weeks one through 10, when Cup was healthy, Higby's median target share was 22%. That's with Cup in the lineup. Because look, whatever happened, you know, second half of the season with Cup out, it was a mess, an absolute disaster without Stafford. But it consolidated target share. There's trust there. It's Tyler Higbeast season in 2023. Oh, man. I love to hear it. Love, love, love to hear it. I have been debating how the rest of this offense is going to shake up at the, at the wide receiver position. I think we both agree that Higby is the number two. Tight ends aside for just a second, because I'm curious your, your opinion here. Do you have, who do you have as the number three? Van Jefferson? And then is it, from there, is it, Tutu Atwell for you? No, I have Jefferson and then Skoranek still. Um, Atwell's just so small. He's so small, and he needs the deep passes to get open, but Van Jefferson is your deep threat on that team. So 
he, he can't operate out of the slot because he doesn't get the he, he's too small. And then he can't operate outside because there's already someone out there. I think that the the play eventually is going to be Puka Nakua. But uh, Tutu Atwell had some you know interesting things happen when A-Rob and Cooper Cup were out. But I, there are just many concerns I have about Tutu Atwell. I'm not there. Doesn't do it for you, huh? Nope. You know, small people need loving too, Bradley. You know, it's just, I, I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> all right nonetheless hunter henry is next on our list <laughs> oh man i can't i can't even say the straight face so i can't like, give me a second hunter henry's next you have missed tight in 13 bradley this is this one was a huge discrepancy in, in our projections i'm at tight in 33 so 20 spots behind where you have hunter henry ecr is at tight end 27 so 14 spots behind where you have hunter henry I'm assuming you do not like Jacecki, who I have ranked ahead of Hunter Henry. Walk me through how you project this back, or this 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 tight end core to look. Walk me through how you project this wide receiver core to work and the pecking order for all the options. Sure. So I have Hunter Henry at a 14% target share, 56 receptions, 81 targets. I think that this offense is a little bit better under Bill O'Brien. I mean, it can't get much worse under Matt Patricia, right? So I think that there's going to be a little bit more movement. What was unstated last year was Jonu Smith, who played a pretty similar role to Hunter Henry, had a 10% target share. And that ate into a lot of Hunter Henry uh, targets. Gesicki doesn't play the Hunter Henry position. He is a big tight end slash wide receiver. He plays on the outside almost as much as Darren Waller. And he gets the Kyle Pitts types of targets. So in the pecking order, I do have Juju as the number one in target share. And then I've taken a shot on Tyquan Thornton. I think the second round pick is an interesting player. He's got speed to burn. I mean, how often do you have 428 speed? In the games that he played, he had double digit target shares. I think that he'll be able to take the next step forward. Um, but I'm not like flag planting on Tyquan Thornton. But I think that Hunter Henry probably falls into that third spot. Uh, Devontae Parker was an 11% target share type of guy last year. Uh, so I think that it, it falls target share wise. Juju, Tyquan Thornton, Hunter Henry in that order. It's still not a great uh, offense on from the wide receiver tight end side. but. Ramondre Stevenson is a 98 target projected type of player. And I think that that's uh, if there's a player on this new England offense that you want to be targeting, I think it's Ramondre Stevenson and then very late Hunter Henry. So why don't you like Jacecki? I mean, we've, we've seen that new England has always shown Miami how to utilize the players that they toss aside. (laughs) He comes in very athletic. You talk about 95th, percentile 40 yard dash 96 percentile speed score 99th percentile burst score 98th percentile agility score 100 percentile catch radius when we look at the uh, comped player on player profiler it is vernon davis mm. never been a massive target share guy we the highest we've seen is 111 targets but again the dolphins i think severely misused him we know that Bill Belichick likes to run 12 personnel. Jacecki, in my opinion, is far more athletic than Hunter Henry. And 
he's bigger than Hunter Henry in terms of one inch taller, but you still have Henry as the number one option as the tight end in, in tight end pecking order. I do. And I, I said, you know, earlier, they just don't play the same position. I think Gesicki may, maybe I'm a little low on Gesicki right now. I like Gesicki in best ball and I like Hunter Henry in best ball. I just think that Henry offers a higher floor. And, you know, if you're, if you're taking late shots, I guess, you know, Gesicki is, we've seen the spike weeks, but Hunter Henry is a player we've seen have top 10 seasons in the past as well. And an improved offense, median target shares are real nice. Like these are median projections. So the Gesicki's projections do include like the scarier floors that could absolute zero you. Now, if we use his 2021 stats, like Gesicki's median target share, he's closer to like 16, 17% target share. But that's also on an offense for Miami that didn't have Tyreek Hill and had like no one else outside of Jalen Waddle. So uh, you could make the argument that Kasiki was not used well. I just also wonder what this offense could be an absolute mess too. Like in, in just trying to figure out, I mean, there's no player I've projected for 20% target share. Yeah. I don't have a single player for 20% target share either. The number one I have uh, as after the contract now is Devonte Parker um, as gross as it sounds, but they pay the man $33 million. You have to at least, you know, look and start adjusting the numbers juju still having knee issues is what it sounds like um and so we're not sure when he's going to be ready and now learning a new playbook getting on the offense is he going to be dancing on tiktok or is he going to be you know reading that playbook at night we don't know and so we look at the rest of the offense and i say it's very feasible that both henry and jacecki are going to be heavily involved in a 12 personnel package as they continue to run old school football 12 personnel Ramondre stevenson a focus on the defense that's how I project this to look. Jacecki, I have as 13.5% target share, 73 targets, have him for 526 yards and 3.8 touchdowns. Nothing to really, you know, get excited about. So, but it is higher than than Hunter Henry, where Hunter Henry's law 11.5% target share last year, only saw a 16.4 target rate. And so I think with any competition at the position, we have to give him at least a slight decrease in efficiency, especially when well, that but they person, lost John U. Smith too. And as much as we yeah, like to hate on John I know, but he, he, he actually got double digit target share last year. Like that, that I think that's what was left off was uh, John U. Smith was like just eating away in games where John U. played and, and Hunter Henry didn't or vice versa. Like we saw them getting into the 18, 20% target shares. So yeah, that, that's when, when it's one on the field. Yeah. But right. When you have two, Right, we're both now in the tens and twelves and thirteen percent right. on a week to week basis. I just think that Jacecki is a far more athletic and superior tight end than John U. Smith was, and and it fits this offense a little bit better in terms of what they're needing out of the position. Um, I'm not crazy high on Jacecki by any means because it still is the Patriots and there still is Mac Jones right. throwing the ball. Um, just a little surprised to see Hunter Henry as high as you did. Although I'm not here to my- tell you you're wrong because. Tight end is a shit show. We never know what's going to happen. Last <laughs> you know year, my was... biases in favor of Hunter Henry from our fanless days, Billy, though. So. I do. Yeah, you might have a little biasness over here. <laughs> Next person I would like to talk about is one of my favorite tight ends this year, at least inside of drafts. He's climbing, so I'm starting to get priced out. I loved his, his price when it was in February and March. People didn't know what was happening here. and The public has figured it out now, and that is going to be Chico. I'm not going to try to pronounce his entire Aconquo. name. 
Oconquo. Bradley will do it for you because I can't do it. Uh, Bradley's always had much better pronunciation than I have had. Uh, he's also teaching students, so he has to, um, where I don't really care, and I'll just call him Chigo. But Chigo Oconquo, did it, how did that go? Was that, was, was, well was done. That good? Well done, Billy. <laughs> Solid Get the applause. B. Get the applause roll in. There we go. <laughs> Chigo Conquo comes in as my tight end 11, your tight end 15, ECR between the two of us, tight end 12. Why are you so low on Chigo? Yeah. I Chigo Conquo feels like a trap. He's like he's a trap this year. I we think that the Tennessee offense, based on all of the what the market is telling us, the Tennessee offense is going to be bad this year. Uh, we have Derrick Henry who's back into the second sometimes he'll fall even to the third round in some drafts it's uh, we see he's falling the next player is Traylon Burks in like round seven and then it falls to Chigakonkwo right so we expect this uh, I mean Brian Tannehill is not even being drafted I, I I looked at the the underdog data and it Ryan Tannehill draft rate plus Will Levis draft rate is at 20%, Billy. That they're only getting drafted 20% of the time, these quarterbacks. So we expect a bad offense. That's higher than I thought. Low pass volume. It's slow paced because of the running, because it's run first. Now, Chig, the reason why he's bumping up is because people like you are identifying some very interesting metrics because he does have some really nice, his PFF grades, his yards per route run in small samples were very good and very interesting. And, but I feel like he's a trap because he eclipsed 50% of snaps just twice, even when he emerged, even when it was clear that he was the second best receiving option on this team. And sometimes the best receiving option when Traylon Burks was out with the concussion issues and with all those other things happening, um, his median target share from week 12 on. So from the time he like broke out, the median target share from week 12 to week 18 was 14.8%. Like that's just not going to get it done in an upside in a bad offense, even though he's getting some nice yardage. I feel like he's going to let people down this year, even though like we like, I like, I would like him as a post hype or, or, or like a sleeper, but he's getting pumped up too much. And that's my fear is you mentioned at the beginning, he's just getting pumped up too much. And I feel like at, at ADP, he's a bit of a trap. You know, his ADP has started to kind of cool down. I think he hit a ceiling because I saw him go in like round eight and I was like, man, I'm out at this point, right? It was getting too steep. I was getting him at like round 11 and 12 in the beginning of the season. Started seeing that ADP come down slightly. I got him the the, the beginning of round nine uh, the other night in FFPC draft, which is, of course, tight end premium. So everyone goes a little earlier. Um, that being said, for me, it's a simple math game. We look at the overall total pass attempts in this offense and it's not this is a bottom three pass attempt offense let's face it so take the total volume with a grain of salt here right it's a clear and easy trail on burks like you mentioned earlier the clear cut number one i'd argue that there is another nfl caliber wide receiver on this team because chris moore nick westbrook king kyle phillips chris conley colton dowell who the hell is that don't do it for me chigo comes in Racy McMath doesn't do it for you, Billy. Racy McMath himself. (laughs) Come on. Not even on my sheet right here. (laughs) Um, So when I look at the overall competition, you can't help but say Chigakonkwa is probably going to see 15, 16% of the target share um, in this offense. And I think that would probably be a conservative number. I actually have him for 16 and a half. 
which is 83 targets, uh, just to put in perspective for how low this offense attempts are. But 715 yards. He was very explosive last year, 14 yards per reception. Four and a half touchdowns is what I have him projected for. Thing I like about Chigo was his target rate. So, yes, didn't have a lot of target share, but when he was on the field, he was targeted. 33.3% target rate. Tight end two last year inside of the league. Didn't, again, didn't really have a lot of snap share. Limited opportunities still came in with the 20th most receiving yards of the position. You know, yards per target, number two, 9.8. Yards per reception, 14.1. It was actually the highest for the position inside the league. Yards per route run, 3.26, number one at the position inside the league. So where I'm getting at with this is these are, yes, they're not sustainable, but if we can even get 75, 80% of these outstanding metrics with some increased snaps, we're looking at a top 10 performance, at least top 12. And when he was contested on the catch, he still caught it. So contested catch rate, 62.5%, number three in the league. I like Chigakonkwo. I like his upside. There's not a lot of downside with with where he was going. They're starting to get a little riskier now with the downside, but with the opportunity he's going to have in this Tennessee Titans offense, I think there's a lot to like with Chigo. Can I tell you a story? Can I Go tell you a story it. for a second? So there was a tight end two years ago that I was very in on, and this was a tight end who coming out of that season was number six in target rate, number one in catchable targets, number six in yards per route run, number five in average cushion. He was top 12 in fantasy points per route run. This was two years ago. And then the next year he, and I was all in on this tight end, just like chips in. I I don't know if you remember this guy, but I was pounding the table, pounding the table for this tight end. Anthony Ferkser in the same Tennessee offense just absolutely implodes the next year because of the small sample size in Tennessee. He was a player who finished top, uh, let me see, yeah, six in yards per route run. He was top 12 in PFF receiving grade that year. And then the next year, he just, it was a fluke. It was a fluke. And I think that Chigakonkwo has much more of this. I'm afraid that he is also a fluke because. There, there was no one else. I haven't projected for 14% target share. So I haven't gone like, you know, zero, you know, burn, burn it to the ground. But I have fears about small sample size tight ends who weren't able to get it. Like he wasn't able to push out Austin Hooper. He was just able to like nudge him so we can work side by side. So I, I do have, cons- I get that there's no one else in the wide receiver core. Maybe this is the bull argument for Traylon Burks. But I, I do have fears about Chigakonkwo being able to um, return on the ADP that you're trying to draft him at. You heard it here first on Man vs. Machine. Bradley Stalder saying Chigakonkwo is much more Firk Daddy than he is Mac Daddy. Ah, there you go. <laughs> you heard it here. All right. Moving on to the quarterback position. We have to talk about Patrick Mahomes, Bradley. I had no intention of talking about Patrick Mahomes. And then I saw your ranking, and I was a little bit of a head-scratcher here. I want to hear your reasoning why, because I do like a lot of quarterbacks in this, you know, God tier and, you know, S tier, so top tier, right? 
I think there's a lot of options here available, but Patrick Mahomes for you comes in as quarterback number seven, Bradley seven. When we look at Patrick Mahomes, I don't even think he's finished outside the top five in his career, but Bradley's saying it's going to happen this year. I have him as quarterback one. ECR has him as quarterback one. Tell everybody, including me, Bradley, why Patrick Mahomes is going to finish the lowest he ever has in his career. (laughs) This is such a letdown because, you know, here's the thing. I... I've been drafting Patrick Mahomes. I have nothing against him. If anything, the numbers come out pretty nice for him. I have him projected for almost 5,200 passing yards, 36 passing touchdowns, a 13% rush share. But for the Kansas City Chiefs, a 13% rush share is only 56 rush attempts. Maybe he'll get two. Maybe he'll get three. Maybe he'll get four rushing touchdowns. Really, uh, the quarterback seven is less about, oh, I'm out on Patrick Mahomes. It's just that there are other quarterbacks we should also be liking in this process. I like Justin Herbert this year. I like Lamar Jackson this year. I like, I mean, I'll pull him up, but Bradley, the man threw for 5,250 yards last year. Oh, how dare I, how dare I lower the projection by 100 yards over the course of a 17 game season? He's finished as going back to 2018. We will not count his rookie year because he played one game. 2018 quarterback one, 2019 quarterback six, because he played 14 games, 2020 quarterback two, 2021 quarterback five, 2022 quarterback two. Where's seven coming from? Yeah, no, it's, it's so close at that top tier. I, I get the fear. This is not me saying don't draft Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> okay, but let me play Devil's Ab. Let me just dig in. Fine. Real you, quick, you, real quick, you, real you, quick. Yeah. I could yeah. see Josh Allen being number one in your projections, yes. or maybe Jalen Hurts. Maybe Jalen Hurts was number one last year. There's a lot of there's a lot of caveat to that. There's a lot of reasons why Lamar he Jackson was number one the year before. Yeah. So we'll get to these quarterbacks. Maybe. Maybe. Stick <laughs> around. You'll see. That being said, for me, there's a massive point difference between Josh Allen, who's my number two, and Jalen Hurts, and then the Joe Burrow. We're talking for me, for Patrick Mahomes to Joe Burrow. Okay, I think it is almost the rushing. 50 points. It has to be the rushing, right? Because you have him for 50, over 5,000 passing yards, right? You have him for more than 35 passing touchdowns, right? So it has to be the rushing differential that... Like, I, I only have him for 56 rush attempts this I do not have him for 5,000 passing yards, actually. I'm for oh. 47.75. Well, okay, then. <laughs> 40 touchdowns. What do you have for touchdowns? I have it at 36. I have okay, it at 36. So four, we have four touchdowns right there, which would which is the big one, right? So 30 I mean, last year, Mahomes led the NFL in touchdown rate. I, he's yeah. a candidate to do it No, again he did not. Bro- Brock Purdy did, actually. Well, in qualified, if, if you qualify games. I'm uh, qualifying passion. 350 snaps, Bradley. <laughs> Brock Purdy's number one. <laughs> I I'm slowly coming around to the Brock Purdy train, but hey, let's uh, go. But here, okay, let's pivot for just a second and Hold give up. me a. Can you tell give, me that again? You're slowly coming around to what? To Brock Purdy. Amen to that shit. <laughs> let's let's just let's go into let's not galaxy brain this too much, but what if? 34-year-old Travis Kelsey 
goes from tight end one to tight end six. Because Tony Gonzalez, when he was 35 years old, who was perennially the tight end one for years and years and years on the Chiefs and the Falcons, even at 35 years old, he was tight end six. But let's say that Kelsey like doesn't fall off the cliff, but he regret he comes back to like being a human and still dominates like it's 120 targets. Is Mahomes going to access the same ceiling with the Rashi Rice, Kadarius, Tony, Sky Moore? Like, are you trusting the other parts of this offense to be able to step up if Kelsey is not the answer this year? I think the correct answer is it doesn't matter because Patrick Mahomes is just that damn good. Like last year, after losing Tyreek Hill, I downgraded him thinking, this offense is not going to be the same. He's losing a massive weapon, sure. arguably the number one receiver inside the league. All he has is Travis Kelsey. Juju Smith-Schuster at MVS are not going to get the job done. And so I discounted him last year, and I was wrong. Right? We He made every single – he elevates every single player around him. So I think if he was forced in a situation where he did not have Travis Kelsey, he would elevate Sky Moore. He would elevate Kadaris Tony. They'd probably use Richie James. Oh, I love Richie James this year. Give me all they the would, Richie James. <laughs> they'd elevate Rasheed Rice. Noah Gray is actually a decent tight end. And so I think the offense would continue. I mean, of course, losing Travis Kelsey is going to be a major damper on things. But Patrick Mahomes in this offense is good enough to where he's going to continue to score fantasy points. and He's going to continue to put up massive numbers. I think, honestly, if they lost Travis Kelsey, would it be if it be injury or whatever it may be, they'd probably go out and trade for somebody like Zach Ertz and, and allow him to come in the second half of the season coming off injury from Arizona. There's no nice use call. for him, right? And so there's probably a piece where they would slide somebody in there, right? whether it's trade or, or however it works. But I, I, I think that there would be other opportunities. And Patrick Mahomes is just that good to where we're going to see that player be elevated as well. And so I think... For me, the correct answer is I think he could be throwing to, you know, infants and monkeys and he would still be the number one quarterback in the league because he's that damn good. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, my projection still indicates that he's exceptional. Almost 5,200 yards, 36 passing touchdowns. Uh, Look, I it's just how the numbers worked out, I guess, for the other players is is uh, is why he falls to seven. Not because I'm out on Patrick Mahomes. Don't. Don't misconstrue me. Don't put it on a on a Twitter post and say, "Oh, Bradley, how how dare you put bad? Why the hell are you putting Patrick Mahomes at quarterback seven? I, it's just that there are also other quarterbacks that I really do like this year. Bradley is smoking the Chiba when he's not on air. Look, right it's now. legal here in Michigan. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, talking about other quarterbacks, Dak Prescott is the next on our list. And Dak Prescott comes in in our projections pretty similar again. Quarterback 10 for me, quarterback 7 for you, ECR is quarterback 9. But ADP, and this is why I brought him into the mix, because otherwise this is just too close for it to be discussed. But ADP has been discounting Dak Prescott severely. I got him in round 10, Bradley, 10-12 to be exact, in an FFPC best ball team. What's going on with Dak Prescott? Why is he being discounted so much inside of drafts? And tell the public why they're wrong or why they are wrong passing him in drafts. 
So the easy answer for why Dak Prescott is falling is because of Kellen Moore leaving. Like we liked the offense, how it ran under Kellen Moore. But I mean, the the Dallas Cowboys were 24th in pass rate last year. You think they're going to run more with just Tony Pollard? No, they're going to be passing because they've got Brandon Cooks. They went out and traded for Brandon Cooks. Michael Gallup is an extra year out of the ACL. There is data to suggest that players more than a year removed from the ACL tears, they're they're back to close to their normal selves. It was clear Michael Gallup was rushed out there last year. He was not himself. Um, And so you've got C.D. Lamb, who, who is a arguably a top five wide receiver in the league. Some, some like him higher, some like him lower. I think five is, is in that conversation for CD lamb. So you've got cooks and Dalton Schultz is out of there. Get rid of the inefficient Dalton Schultz. I mean, I, we like him for target share. We like him for, you know, base volume, but we've got more upside in this offense. We think that that pass rate is going to be better. Dak Prescott also was dealing with injuries last year. I mean, he missed, what, four or five games due to injury that year. And Prescott is perennially, you know, a top-tier upside quarterback over the last three years. We're talking Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, all of them within a similar tier of 84th percentile scores for upside. So I like Dak Prescott, especially not only because of all these reasons that I mentioned, but if you're playing an underdog, week 17 is in a dome against the Detroit Lions. Like it is the highest over under already projected for week 17. When you are stacking or correlating and Dak is that cheap, let's go. Give me some Dak Prescott. You know, Bradley, when you talk about qualified quarterbacks and Brock Purdy meeting my qualifications, there was only one quarterback that was higher than him in red zone completion percentage. Do you know who that quarterback was? Uh, give me Dak Prescott, baby. Dak Prescott's number one in the league in the red zone completion percentage. You hit the nail on the hammer. I always say this saying wrong. Is that right? Nail on the hammer. I always say hammer on the nail. Is that I'm saying I'm just gonna let you roll with it, Billy. Yeah, whatever, whatever the saying is, you hit it. And if you look at this offense passing more, people forget that Zeke, even though as dusted as he was, still had 231 rushing attempts last year. And he is out of the equation now. And we do not expect Tony Pollard to be able to handle all 230 of those plus what he was seeing last year. So unless they add another back, we're looking like we're going into the season with a combination of Deuce Vaughn, Malik Davis, right? It just gets uglier from there. And I don't think that any one oh, of those Ronald backs, Jones, Ronald yeah, Jones, like, uh, like you I know. said, it, it gets uglier from there. <laughs> I don't think any one of those are going to see 230 rushing attempts. And so this offense is probably going to take a shift. And I agree with you. We're going to see a pass heavier offense out of the Dallas Cowboys out of necessity, maybe not even, not even once, but because they have to, because their weapons are in the passing game, because they have lamb, because they have Brandon cooks, because they have Michael Gallup, because they have a elite pass catcher in Tony Pollard. And so, I agree with you. I think this is seven, eight, nine, ten, perfectly fine for Dak Prescott, but I'm seeing him go inside drafts now as quarterback 12, quarterback 13 at times. And I think that is far too low for Dak Prescott 
I'll take the discount all day. I'll continue to take them in drafts. Thank you, everybody, for the money. I will cash in on it. Next up I want to talk about is Justin Fields. You and I see things a little bit, again, more similar than the average consensus. Uh, He's been as low as quarterback eight in my rankings right now. He's quarterback seven. He's quarterback 10 inside of your rankings. ECR has been adjusting down as well. He started the season as quarterback number four. He's now ECR's quarterback number six. I like the ranking, Bradley. Tell the public why you have him so low. Well, this is not best ball. We're talking redraft in this conversation. In best ball, I think he has pathway to be the quarterback one overall pretty easily. However, best ball ignores the floor games. And the floor for Justin Fields is still pretty scary. We saw even when the the he was unleashed, quote unquote unleashed, we never saw a 30 pass game, pass attempt game from Justin Fields last year. The pass volume is going to be so low. Even if we pump up the pass attempts by 25%, it's not going to get to where we want it to for fantasy goodness. Yes, he's going to get some rushing, but we we also saw the Bears go out and draft Rashawn Johnson. They sign Donta Foreman. They still have Khalil Herbert to all rotate rushing shares in there. It's going to be an ugly split rushing share. But also, I mean, yes, we're going to see, a. I believe the, the passing will improve, but I don't think it's going to get to, we're going to, I don't think we're going to see 27 to 32 pass attempts for Justin Fields. No, and that's, no that's where the public is getting this quarterback six, quarterback five consensus. I'm just not there from a redraft perspective. He can offer weak winning ceilings. Don't get me wrong. So it depends on the lens and the game of fantasy that you're playing. Like Justin Fields, I love his upside best ball, absolutely. But for redraft, you have to factor in the bear case. And the bear case for Justin Fields, no pun intended, is much scarier than what uh, what the consensus is leading on right now. So another thing, I was doing some research. Uh, I'm going to be guest appearing on CBS tomorrow with Dave Richard. And... He asked for one of my favorite stats of 2023. And this is, I guess, in continuation to the franchise of the Bears, but it also applies to 2023. The Bears have never had a 4,000-yard passer in the franchise of the Bears. And so when people look at this and say, he's going to take a massive step forward, I don't think this is the year that they break that non-4,000 tradition. And we know that Justin Fields was a run-first quarterback last year. It was it was evident in his in his attempts and it was evident inside of his his rushing stats. Agree with everything you said. Everything they are signaling is saying they want Justin Fields to run less. They added DJ Moore. They added Roshan Johnson. They added Donta Foreman. This is telling me that they want to take away his greatest strength, which is his rushing ability to preserve his career as a quarterback for their franchise and have him take the next step forward as a passer. I agree with you. I do not think it's enough for him to be a top five, top six option at his quarterback, simply relying on his arm. For some reason, his accuracy from college has not translated to the NFL. He's one of the most accurate passers in college, and now he comes into the NFL and he's seen 58.9% completion percentage in 2021, 60.4% last year. 
I mean, when you compare this to his college stats, when he was seeing 69, 67, 70% completion percentage, you have to ask yourself, what happened? Right. Well, did Matt Nagy happen? That's <laughs> I was what about happened. To say, did Matt Nagy ruin his career? Like, I think so. I think that he's deferred it. There's there's a lot of concerns when it comes to Justin Fields as a passer because we just haven't seen it at the NFL level. Even in 16 or 15 games last year, he still only had 2,200 passing yards, 318 attempts. He had 1,100 rushing yards, so half half the yardage on the ground just in comparison to what he did as a passer. And so if you take away a fraction of that, He's he dips significantly inside the projections. He's continued to move down my numbers every single time I do projections and updates just because I'm with you. I just don't see it happening for him, at least in 2023. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's going to take a lot for him to take a next that next step forward and surpass any rushing that he does lose inside of his numbers. Two more players. Let's move along to one of your favorites. Bradley has a little bit of biases here because he just left his team. Bradley saw his team go back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Now he's stuck with Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers joins the New York Jets, comes in Bradley's projections as quarterback 22. He said, F you, Rodgers. I'm sending you to the abyss where the Jets belong. I, on the other hand, I'm a little bit more optimistic as quarterback 13 inside of my projections because I'm not biased like Bradley is here with Aaron Rodgers. ECR is quarterback number 15. Everything aside, Bradley. Is it biases or do you have serious concerns about Aaron Rodgers as a jet? Serious concerns? No, I, I think this is great for the jets. I think this is going to prove that Aaron Rodgers is not dust, but from a fantasy perspective, we have to be concerned that he just doesn't run anymore. That is, that is, um, there's just no ceiling. We saw Aaron Rodgers not be a top 10 quarterback almost any week last year. I know there was the thumb injury. He still had good top 12 peripheral metrics in almost every in every metric. I think he's going to hyper-target Garrett Wilson. I'm big in on Garrett Wilson this year, but my concerns with Rodgers is that he's just not rushing. I mean, I have been projected for 21 total rushes. 21. That's not much. A 5% rush share. Like for for... To contrast, Justin Fields, I have projected for a 31% rush share, six times the amount, more than six times. So without having that rush share, he's missing a ceiling. And the ceiling simply isn't there without the rushing. I I don't mind Rodgers to stack with Garrett Wilson late or as a, 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 if you want some like Browns, Jets in week 17, fine, be my guest. But I think that the concerns for me stem from just the rushing. I have him projected for 28 passing touchdowns, eight interceptions, all about 4,000 passing yards. What were the total rushing attempts again? 21. We're only nine different. That's not too far. And total passing yards again? Uh, about 4,000. Okay, I'm about there. What were t- touchdowns again? 28 touchdowns. Okay, three touchdown difference. That's where we are again there. So for us, it's just a, it's just going to be touchdown rate for our biggest difference. Um, yeah, I know Rodgers is definitely on the decline. I mean, he's been in the league since 2005, and we've seen his efficiencies, you know, 
the last this two years. This is one of the slowest players in NFL history. Like over the last 15 years, he it, play to play. It's the slowest of any quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he's a game manager, right? I I think my concern with Rodgers, because when we talk about the overall ranking, I have him, where did I say, 13. So I actually, I, I was wrong. I have him ahead of ECR. I think it just breaks down to the efficiencies. I think that Garrett Wilson, for him, we look at the weapons he's not had in Green Bay. He actually has some weapons now. And I think that we oh, might You see- mean the same weapons of Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb? Yeah, Green Bay doesn't give me any weapons. <laughs> Goes to the Jets and says, "Give me this. Give me all my same weapons." No, it's Aaron Rodgers, man. It's Tyler Conklin, baby. That was what yeah. pushed him over the edge. Yeah, the uh, for for me, I think it breaks down to Brees Hall, right? I don't think that we're going to see a hundred percent Brees Hall at the beginning of the season. There's no reason to rush him in. I know he's ahead of schedule. I know he's already running a straight line speed, but it's different to cut and have lateral agility. So I think that. The first two, three, I used to say four to six. I've been slowly adjusting this number back. But the first two to three, maybe four weeks still, Brees Hall is limited, probably on a snap count, probably not to full capacity. We probably see a little bit heavier pass volume during that time because they're not going to be relying on Israel Banacanda and Michael Carter and and um, Bam Knight, right? So, yes, they'll be utilized, but they're not going to be running them 20 times a game. And so we also saw that Brees Hall was very – very effective inside the passing game. So when he is back, I think that Aaron Rodgers probably has some design plays to him as well in the dump offs. I think we might see some pretty creative plays. McCall Harbin for some yards after the catch is going to give him some extra yardage as well. And so ultimately we're very similar across the board on all these numbers just breaks down to passing touchdowns for me. Just think about it. He can do a touchdown pass like this, right? Just that jet sweep to McCall Hardman. And that speed is something that the Jets have not had in quite some time. And so I think that um, Aaron Rodgers, for me, quarterback number 13, as I said, it's about right, maybe slightly too high. But overall, I like what the Jets have done and building this team for Rodgers. Last quarterback we want to talk about is Tua, another name I can never pronounce, Bradley. Tua Tagovail. I've gotten better at this over the last couple of years. But... Comes in at your projections as quarterback number 19. Quarterback number nine for me. Quarterback 11 for ECR. So question is, is yours based on total points? And are you expecting him to miss games? Or is this a points per game projection? And are you just down on Tua as the quarterback? Yeah, I think that Tua is is an interesting case. Uh, Billy, your own our own playerprofiler.com. Do you know what Tua Tunga Viola's player profiler comp is? Without looking, without cheating. Without looking, without cheating. Without looking, without cheating. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. <laughs> As he's cheating, he's searching. No, I'm not, I'm not searching. Beep, 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 beep. It's someone with this, someone that's going to be able to run a little bit. Is, is it another lefty? Can you give me a clue? <laughs> no, it's not a lefty. Oh, okay. Never mind. I don't even want to guess then. I was going to guess lefties. I'll give you a clue. He was a former first overall pick. Uh, it's either Baker or Darnold. Yeah, it's Baker Mayfield. Not a good comp, but not a good comp is right. Like, so my concern is that Tua actually isn't that good, but we saw some real nice spike weeks at the beginning of the season in some massive shootout games against defenses that were very bad. Like, if you remember the Baltimore Ravens game, they the total game 
total was like 80 points between the Ravens and the Dolphins. And Tua threw for six touchdowns and, and hit Hill and Waddle, and it was just a huge, massive shootout. I think that it was also the beginning of we're going to figure out Mike McDaniel. We're going to figure out his offense. He was the new fresh thing. I think he started to get figured out near the end of the season. And I don't think Tua is particularly good. Number one. Number two is my concerns about a pace of play. Miami only ran 59.9 plays per game last season. They're not a fast pace of play as much as like, they have speed on the field and they have like spike weeks, which is why I like Tua better in best ball. Like I like stacking him with Waddle. I like stacking him in uh, it, with, with Tyreek Hill. I like those in best ball, but in redraft, I think there are higher floor guys that can still give you some nice ceilings in scenarios, game scenarios that are going to be better I, I i have concerns that Tua isn't very good that he's being propped up you talked about patrick mahomes elevating his pass catchers i think it's the other way around in miami i think it's the pass catchers who are elevating Tua, and his floor can be very easily exposed and i've not said one word about the injuries this has nothing to do with his injuries i just am concerned he's not very good like overall but he is propped up by the scheme and he's propped up by the exceptional skilled players that are surrounding him. So, so, so your projection is for a full season for a full season. Wow. Man, I don't know, man. That's um, that one's tough. I mean, he was points per game last year because he only played 13 games, but in the points per game last year, he was quarterback number nine. I, I think. Yeah. That maybe, was inflated by the, by a couple big games. But that's the thing. I mean, he has big playmakers. He has fast weapons. He's got Waddle. He has Tyreek Hill. So even if he is inflated by the players around him, he still has those players this year. There's one stat that contradicts at least what you said on player profiler, and it's money throws. And so for those who are asking themselves, what the fuck is a money throw? A money throw is a pass that requires, and I quote, exceptional skill or athleticism as well as a critical throw executed in clutch moments. Number two in the league, Bradley. And so that is not a metric that is just made up. That is a real metric over at Player Profiler. Look, I like the spike weeks for Tua, but the the pace of play, he's not very good. I mean, the deep ball completion percentage, Bradley, number one. Red zone completion I mean, percentage. All he has to do is like throw it 20 yards to Tyreek Hill, take it to the house. Like, I think, as I said, he's well, no, the throw itself the is more than the throw itself is more than 20 yards, is what that is. Okay. So, it, okay. he's still well, number one, the throw itself. Red zone completion percentage, number two, if you include my precious Brock Purdy, who had 350 snaps. Oh, and that, they're not going to rush with him at all, by the way, Billy. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would say the rushing, I like, I projected his <laughs> rushing stats way down. Like, I have him for 32 rush attempts, and I feel that's too high. Like, you, you want to give this guy an ability to avoid contact, like, that's what's going to limit his ceiling, is, like, you're balancing out, like, he's got the passing ceiling, absolutely, with Hill and Waddle, for sure, and you've got, like, I don't know. I like Braxton Berrios as a last round selection, but like you're yeah, not going to let him rush. Ways. You're not going to get any rushing touchdowns. You're not going to get any rushing yards from Tua. That's like the indirect concern about the injury. Not that he's going to miss games. I get the rushing concern. I, I haven't projected for 42 rushing attempts. 
Yeah, I feel um, even my 32 is too high. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's, that's the tricky part about his game is because he probably still wants to run, and they're probably telling him not to, but I still think he probably does. But it, it I mean, real talk here, it could end his career. They said he contemplated retirement this offseason. Yep. And so mm-hmm. that's a real concern. Concussions are a scary thing. And there's one thing about injuries is that it's not like one injury, you have a better chance of re-injuring. But when it comes to concussions, you do. Because it's the brain, you know, that's a different, whole different animal. Yeah, some players, look, they don't have brains. And so they, you don't have to worry about concussions. But no, that's a bad joke. But we got Tua itself, I think, has the weapons around him that is going to succeed. I think he's good in best ball. I just have serious concerns. Oh, the best ball cop out. The best ball cop out. <laughs> Look, you brought me on, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Matt did the best best ball cop out on Sunday too. He, he, I, I even record. I put it in the, in like the outtakes. Even I got him admitting that it, I'll take him in best ball. <laughs> <laughs> But not redraft. Yeah, Tua is an avoid for me in redraft. All right, fair enough. I think you're a little low. I think he's got the weapons there, but to each their own. Well, Bradley, thank you for coming on. You've been very generous with your time. We're now at an hour and 12 minutes on the podcast. Why don't you tell everybody where to find you, what you're working on, and everything that's happening with Bradley Stalder? Yeah, so bestbellfantasy.com. I have the podcast that I've been doing on Tuesdays. Check out all the work I previously done on player profiler. You guys have uh, really been excellent about propping up um, the work I've been putting on your YouTube channel, but also the articles. I just put out uh, an article on Roto Underworld as to why week 17 is even more important this year and how to do it right. Some things to, to be looking for in it in with regards to stacking and reasons why you should have a bring back, but also things to to avoid. Like you shouldn't be doing this or this in your stacks. And and so I really encourage you to check out that article as well. It's gonna be really great. Less yesterday I had King Cap, who won the BBM three regular season on, and that was an awesome conversation. Check that out on the player profiler YouTube channel as well. Thank you, Bradley, for coming on. For those, if you missed the earlier part, Bradley is going to be joining the Player Profiler team. That announcement will come out shortly. I'm excited for you to be on board, Bradley. Always enjoyed working with you in our days of the fantasy football fanalist. Iron Shoppin's Iron, my friend. We've always done a good job with that. For those who are looking for the next podcast, I will be back on Friday with First Class Fantasy at 10 a.m. Eastern. That is 1 o'clock, or sorry, 10 a.m. Pacific. That's 1 o'clock Eastern. That is going to be with Hayden Winks from Underdog. We're going to be talking some Underdog with Theo and with Hayden. We're going to be breaking down a lot of good, a lot of good goodness. Is that too many goodnesses? Too many goods there, Bradley? Greatness. A lot of of greatness on Underdog. Bestness, right? Best ball, best. Bestness. Okay, we're getting silly here. We're getting (laughs) silly. That's it, folks. We'll see you all back here on Friday, First Class Fantasy. Take care. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.